in this week's edition of Matt Messed Up Again. What do you mean I recorded my voice twice and didn't record Bubba and Stephanie at all? <laughs> Matt! <laughs> Tune in next time when Matt falls off of a building. This podcast is now available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and more. Please leave a written review on whatever app you get this podcast from. Spoiler alert! When this podcast talks about the television series Game of Thrones, it talks in the context of the most recently aired episode. And when it talks about George R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series, it talks in the context of the most recently released book. You've been warned. Dedicated to HBO's Game of Thrones and George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series, you're listening to Game of Thrones, Matt's audio blog. And now, here's your host, Matt Murdock. And welcome once again to another Monday cast for Matt's audio blog. As you might have heard up front, me and my computer have been in a semester long battle and the computer is winning. I was supposed to have Bubba and Stephanie here for this episode to look at season five, episode five, Kill the Boy, written by Brian Cogman, directed by Jeremy Pedeswa. Alas... I recorded my voice instead of their voices somehow. I think my computer's just mad at me because I've been making it do like actual work, like writing papers for college and stuff like that. And so now it's rebelling and it is winning. I'm trying to see what else is messed up for this particular season of recordings that I was so secure and just trying to be able to record early, edit late. Uh, I tried to take Christmas week off. Hope you all had a good holiday season or are having a good holiday season, by the way. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, all that stuff. However, uh, I tried to take that week off so I could just relax, be with my family, do things with friends. No. No, no. I went to edit this particular episode and uh, lo and behold... My voice twice. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I'll tell you what does make sense to me. Mattsaudioblog.com. M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com. That's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, including contact links, podcast app links. Very important to me. Please leave a written review. That's the only way that the search engines will even pick me up. You have to literally type in everything. Game of Thrones, Matt's Audio Blog right now to find me on most search engines. If you leave a written review on whatever podcast app that you're using, that may be a little easier to find me in the listings. At any rate, hope you're having a good holiday season. Also, if you have any comments about the podcast or if you have any feedback for season five, feel free to email me, mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com, or you can tweet to Matt's G-O-T blog on the Twitter. That's M-A-T-T-S G-O-T blog on the Twitter. 
on Mondays we do the story before we do the music analysis. And I didn't write a whole lot of notes for this episode when I recorded it with Bubba and Stephanie. I was expecting them to do the heavy lifting. I've gone back and written some things in. And lo and behold, I do still have the doc with Bubba and Stephanie's notes. So I'll be sharing some of their thoughts, even though they won't be here. And I want to give Bubba and Stephanie a plug right here. Bubba, you can find him at Fit and Trim on Twitter. Stephanie, you can find her at SM Persephone on Twitter. That's S-M-P-E-R-S-E phone. Please check them out. Um, They're always happy to talk about Game of Thrones. And I'm not even going to make the promise, but I'm hoping that you will hear Bubba on episode 8 on the Hard Home episode along with Holly. I'm hoping that you'll hear Holly on episode 7. I'm hoping that you'll hear Susan on episode 9, and finally, Stephanie on episode 10. The way the computer is fighting me right now, I don't know. Let's get into talking about on the surface of stuff that's the emotional or the um, thematic or stuff that doesn't really extend on into the seasons or culminate in big character moments, although some of it might. It's still all good stuff. We'll start with that, On the Surface. On the Surface. So I have my notes. I have a couple of notes from Bubba, a couple of notes from Stephanie. Um, I'll start with Stephanie's note here uh, because it's very on the surface. The title, Kill the Boy, which means kill the boy and let the man be born. Those are the words of Maester Eamon to John. So that's pretty much where the title comes from, according to Stephanie. And I don't recall in our conversation if we came up with any deeper meaning than that or not, but that's a pretty deep meaning, actually, so it barely qualifies as on the surface. Another note that she had was the confirmation of Sir Barristan's death. Of course, as we're doing a rewatch, Kelly and I were able to mourn Sir Barristan in the last episode, but Stephanie hadn't had a chance to mourn Sir Barristan yet, so she did mourn Sir Barristan uh, for just a few moments. I came up with this. As far as that whole storyline goes, Daenerys is very scary to me in this app, at least at first. And it obviously comes from this anger of, of the loss of Barristan Selmy. But man, I mean, burning men alive, just crazy. The thing that is interesting is the dragon connection thing. I mean, did Drogon leave because she wasn't enough of this? Or did Drogon leave because she chained up the other dragons? It's unclear. It, I always associated as Daenerys is not who she is supposed to be. And that's why Drogon leaves to go off on his own little journey until he comes back at the end of this season. But what is the real Daenerys? Because later on in season seven, uh, we see her burn the Tarleys just like she burned this guy here. So is this who she truly is? Um, There's a line that I think Holly and I discuss in episode seven of... Dario saying, you know, either a leader is either butcher or meat. 
And uh, that's a very cynical and absolute view, absolutist kind of view of what leadership is. I do think that Daenerys finds that place as to how to become a better ruler in this particular episode. Not that it does her all that much good, but I think it's the right step. It's the kinds of steps that we see John taking in his leadership roles. On the other hand, Stephanie basically said she doesn't care, care the least bit about Danny's story here, uh, except the dragons. She did like the dragons. Um, so I, I totally get that. Um, but I was kind of moved by Daenerys's storyline in this particular episode. Uh, what else for me on the surface? Alfie Allen is just so fantastic from really from season three onward. Uh, I really feel like he should get an Emmy for his Theon slash Reek performances because he's just magnificent in every single episode as this truly broken man. It's very, I know that Bubba doesn't like Theon very much. I imagine that most of us don't like Theon a whole lot for what he did. But why do we like Jamie for what, you know, after what he did to Bran? I, I think that there, you got to find those gray areas, right? And I can tell you something else that Stephanie hated that I loved, and it doesn't add anything to the overall narrative, which is why I've put it up here on the surface, but I do really love the Masande Grey Worm love story. It's kind of this brief sense of normal, well, sort of normal, when you consider that <laughs> Grey Worm's an unsullied, but it's just this one brief moment of normalness in an absolute crazy world. So I love that, but Stephanie is not a big proponent of the Missandei Grey Worm storyline. The other thing that I have in these notes here is I loved when they were going through the doom. And, you know, that's the whole history of Valyria. That's the history of where Daenerys' family originally came from. And then they went to Dragonstone and then the doom happened. And then later on, of course, her family then invaded Westeros. So there are bigger implications. And even in the books, there are things about the Doom that I don't think were really relayed in the television show. And I don't think that that matters. I, I, I don't have a problem with that at all in any way, shape, or form. But I did love the, the bonding that happened between Jorah and Tyrion in this particular episode uh, leading up to the Stonemen attacking. Uh, the poem uh, and Tyrion seeing Drogon that was just like super fantastic and, and finally Bubba has some notes here too he says no Cersei in this episode uh, she's appeared in all but 11 episodes and actually that's quite a few episodes to be perfectly honest I remember us having a conversation is, is that a lot of episodes is that not a lot of episodes um, when you consider that there's only been 67 episodes, um, that's, what, 15%, a little less than 15% of the uh, total number of episodes. But uh, that's interesting 
It's an interesting little sidebar. I love Bubba's little trivia bits. Here's another one of his that I absolutely love. He's kind of the body bag man for us in terms of uh, counting who's dead, who's no longer available, especially on rewatch stuff. He's very good at that, at reminding us. Uh, all these people that you see, none of them matter because they're not here in season eight. So here is Bubba's listing of characters appearing in this episode who do not survive to season eight. His Dar, Maester Aemon, Alistair Thorne, Stannis, Ollie, Ramsay, Miranda, the old woman, Roose, Walda, Salise, and Shireen. And we haven't seen Dario in a while, so that's kind of an exception, but we we don't know where Dario's at right now. Uh, another note that Bubba made is that the Dothraki guards are the ones that grab his dar. It's not unsullied guards. So he says, well, okay, there are still some Dothraki here with Danny, even though ever since she picked up this unsullied army, we've seen less and less and less of the Dothraki. So that was a good point to make as well. And I think that covers all of our on-the-surface stuff. And I'm sorry to just be reading most of this to you, but I do want to share Bubba and Stephanie's thoughts as we go along. Let's get into three big things. Three big things. So these are things that have a lasting impact on the series or are culminations, big culminations for characters. And um, Bubba's first big thing is the comparison of Stannis burning people alive versus Daenerys feeding a leader to the dragons. And that's an excellent point. Uh, I don't remember how extensive we got into the conversation, but it's like, why do we think it's okay for Stannis to do these things? And it's not when it comes to what happens later on in this season. It's not in any case. Um, do we empower Daenerys too much by saying, you know, yeah, it's okay if you burn the Tarleys because when Stannis burns Shireen, that's definitely not okay. Another one of Bubba's three big things is the fake out deaths in the show and in the books, definitely in the books. Uh, we're talking about the, the whole Tyrion blackout thing that happened near the end of this episode. And you wondered if Tyrion was really dead, because that was an extraordinarily long blackout. I was waiting for the credits to come on. And we all hate the fake-out deaths. This actually happens in the book, too, where Tyrion is sinking and sinking, and then the chapter ends. And that's one of those times where you just feel like you want to throw the book across the room. Because it's like, you can't kill Tyrion, George! He's your favorite! You can't kill him, especially not like that. Uh, there was uh, in the Storm of Swords in the third book. The Red Wedding actually happens partially from Arya's point of view. And she's seeing all this stuff happen and then all of a sudden everything goes black. And for book readers who hadn't seen the TV series, they had to wait to find out if Arya was still alive. That's another fake-out death. The fake-out deaths 
continue with Dave and Dan. I don't remember how many different ones that Bubba pointed out, but the one that I remember specifically is uh, in season seven after the loot train battle when Jamie's sinking to the bottom of a very deep river. And then, of course, in the next episode, he's able to stand up and the water barely comes to his knees. Um, And he's thousands of yards away from where he sank. Um, Ron did a good job of swimming that guy out of there, I guess. But it's these kind of fake out deaths that drive book readers and me and Bubba especially. And I think Stephanie said so too. It drives us all crazy. Just nuts. Now, when this happened with Tyrion, we would have known as book readers that this isn't what kills Tyrion. But you move on to the whole Jamie thing where we're way beyond where the books are and you're like thinking, oh my gosh, is this the end for Jamie? So that fake out death was much better in ways, although it resolved not nearly as well. Although this one resolved, it's kind of like, how did Jorah get Tyrion out? How did he fight off the stone men? What happened to their boat? <laughs> uh, you know, why did they lose their boat? So there's all kinds of uh, things you, you can question about any of these fake out deaths, I suppose. But yeah, uh, that bugs the crap out of me too. Bubba's third big thing is Sansa with the Boltons in Winterfell. And Bubba said that he was spoiled and he didn't think the producers should make that choice. But since Sansa in the books is headed to a possible similar fate, the George R. R. Martin narrative shock twists and etc. may be in play for Sansa in the books anyway. There are some questionable characters that she's hanging around with in the books that could easily be as cruel to her as uh, Ramsey was to Jane Poole. Well, maybe not quite that cruel in the books, but as as cruel as Ramsey was to Sansa in the whole uh, unbound, unbent, unbroken, and beyond. And that that's I, I remember Bubba specifically asking me why that storyline bothers me so much. And it wasn't really so much about the storyline. And I'll save most of this, I promise you, for the next episode. But it wasn't really so much about the storyline. It was about the way it was handled by the showrunners in the aftermath. They just let things keep brewing because that just kept surfacing more articles. It was like they just needed more popularity. And... A lot of people argued well, that they were already super popular. They're one of the most popular, most downloaded shows ever. Most pirated shows ever. Yeah, but they don't make money off the piracy. They need legitimate subscribers. That's what Dave and Dan were going for. Anyway, I'll talk about that in the next episode, which is the 50th episode of this podcast. Uh, more about that later. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to go off on that tangent. Let's get back to big things, this time from Stephanie. And she's talking about Jon Snow and the wildlings. And, and Snow wanted the wildlings to migrate south where they could settle and help the Night's Watch fight the White Walkers. And this is the kind of bending, the kind of leadership that John is showing that we're searching for in Daenerys. And Daenerys, of course starts to make some concessions herself. 
and this is this is what we need in good leaders people who use logic and not emotion i had this as one of my big things too and i added to the point that the the dissension and the tough arguments were not only with Tormund, but of course with the rest of the nice watch and even ed and you have to respect john for making a tough and in my opinion right decision because that's what leadership is about that's not just leadership that's also ruling and now that we know that his true lineage being a targaryen that's even more important now and then you have the whole ollie thing and i'll also throw this in that uh Bubba makes a point. It's like, Ali is all of us. I mean, why wouldn't you want to kill the people who murdered your parents so brutally as those thins did and the wildlings did? My only argument is that Ali didn't kill the people who killed his parents. Ali instead, you know, instead of going after Tormund, he allied with Alistair Thorne and, and went after John who had nothing to do with the death of his parents. And for book readers, this whole Ollie thing was just a really sad, obvious setup that he was going to be the last guy to stab Jon Snow it, since we knew what was going to happen to Jon Snow at the end of this season. Um, but it became very apparent throughout season five. It was really bad, obnoxiously overt foreshadowing in a lot of ways, uh, when you look at it in hindsight. At the time, I don't suppose, if you didn't know what was going to happen to John, you probably didn't notice it as much. And, of course, you're forgiven for that. Another big thing of mine was uh, the whole Sansa and Theon thing, which is crucial to how this season plays out and its outcome. And carrying over to uh, the first episode of season six, of course, as well, because Miranda is beginning her game, too. And it's interesting that she ends up causing her own undoing in a lot of ways. And I loved seeing the foreshadowing of the dog kennels. There's where Sansa's at and all these dogs are barking at her frantically when she finds Theon. And of course, that's where she's going to end up ending Ramsey by letting the dogs go. So that was nice to see that place and think about the end of that storyline rather than where we are right now. And of course, when she does see Theon, his whole, you shouldn't be here. Uh, there are multiple connotations to that line now uh, when you think about it, because it was supposed to be a, another a character in the books called Jane Poole is the person who suffers all of the Ramsey stuff and who Theon ends up saving. But uh, the whole you shouldn't be here, of course Sansa shouldn't be here. She's going to be in danger. Uh, she shouldn't be in the kennels because now she knows that Theon's there. She shouldn't be, as a book character, shouldn't be in this situation at all. She is in dire straits. And then I also love the dinner scene where Ramsay is torturing both her and Theon, but I love Sansa's response to the announcement of Roose 
and Walda having a baby. That's fantastic. Stephanie also had some stuff about Sansa and Ramsay and Theon and Brienne. And she says, Sansa and Miranda, yikes, that was awkward. Yes, <clears throat> those are some weird scenes when you think about what Miranda wants out of Ramsay and what Ramsay takes from Miranda from time to time. Um, she says, Sansa reuni- reunites with the broken Theon. Yes, with Reek. And then this whole bit about the servant. And that's the old woman that Bubba was referring to who's no longer in season eight. Actually, she only lasts a couple of episodes, but um, informs her that if she should ever be in danger, she just lights a candle from the tallest tower, tower in the keep. And coincidentally, that same window would be the window from which Bran was pushed out of by Jamie. And of course, we have Brienne, who's going to fight her windmills by watching for a candle and then leaving as soon as uh, right before it lights <laughs> coming up. <laughs> uh, what else do I have? Uh, one last big thing for me, and that is not only did John learn a lot about ruling, but Daenerys, and we've kind of already talked about this, but she's learning to rule as well. Uh, I do love the Missandei talk about how Daenerys uh, will often lean on her counselors but she will also sometimes find her own path when there's not a good one in front of her. And I think that she was doing things wrong before, and this is why Drogon left her. But I think now she is headed down the right path, which is why Drogon will return. Even though it's a constant struggle for Daenerys. Like I said, there are the Tarleys. So you have that. Each of us had some questions as well. Let's get to those. Questions. So Bubba, Stephanie, and I all had the same question. We phrased it in different ways, but more or less we're asking what Bubba's asking. Who wrote this note about Daenerys that Sam reads to Maester Aemon? Stephanie put it like, how did Maester Aemon get news about Danny? Who did it? And she eliminates Jorah or Barristan. I had the same question. None of us know who wrote this message. Did the message come from the Citadel? Does the Citadel have spies that would know something about Daenerys? Does it have to be somebody specifically a Marine? Or is it just a sailor who may have came into Old Town who had stories about what was going on with Daenerys and then that got to the Citadel and then the Citadel sent that to Maester Aemon? knowing that he was a Targaryen. And why would, if you're a man of the Night's Watch, why would you want to know about your family? Didn't Maester Aemon actually school John about you have to give up your family? How love is the death of duty? All of these questions we have no answers to. But if you think that you have an idea as to who might have sent this message, folks, we're not going to get the answer to that. You, you do know that, right? I mean, if you're looking for the answer to that and you're going to be mad at the show because you don't get it, well, go ahead and be mad at the show because you're not going to get it. None of us really care, but we love asking the question. You know, that's, that's the point. It's just asking the question. And uh, if you have an answer, 
Get it to me by January 19th of 2019. January 19th is your deadline for the Season 5 feedback. You can send your responses in via email, mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, or you can tweet to Matt's G-O-T blog on Twitter. Let me spell those for you. mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com, or on Twitter, M-A-T-T-S-G-O-T blog on the Twitter. Or you can tweet to Bubba at Fit and Trim, F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M. Or you can treat, tweet to uh, S-M Persephone. Stephanie there. That's S-M-P-E-R-S-E phone. Just let us know that you pondered this question as well. Were you asking this question back in season five when it first aired? Are you surprised that you're still having to ask this question now? Did you think you were going to get an answer to that at some point? Doesn't look like we are. What else do we have here? Stephanie's question is, did John really expect the Night's Watch to ally with the Wildlings? No, is my answer to that. Um, Hence his talk with Maester Eamon. Bubba asked this question. Whatever happened to Stannis' ships? That's a good question. I mean, John uses them to go to Hardhome. He doesn't seem to have them when he comes back to Castle Black. Who knows how long they walked? Did they take the ships back to East Watch by the Sea and then walk across that way? I don't know. But what did happen to Stannis' ship? I always suspected that the guys from the sellsword army that abandoned Stannis at the Battle of Winterfell, or shortly before, just commandeered the ships and said, hey, (laughs) we're going home. But who knows? Nobody knows what happened to Stannis' ships. Are they still out there somewhere? Just floating along. Maybe the the White Walkers will use them. (laughs) Good question, Bubba. If you have any questions regarding this episode, feel free to submit them to me. Once again, mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, or you can tweet to Matt's G-O-T blog on Twitter. Let's get to some tidbits here. Tidbits. Tidbits are the Goldilocks zone, so to speak. They are somewhere in between the big things and the surface, more or less. I have one right here that it seems to me that the Sam and Gilly talk about the Citadel was foreshadowing them going there at the end of the season. And of course, this seems like an obvious foreshadowing now, but I do wonder how many non-spoiled, non-book reading people caught the obvious foreshadowing of Aemon's a Targaryen alone in this world is a terrible thing, followed by John appearing. I'm sure lots did later it's very obvious now but i haven't listened to many podcasts from that time period to see if any people who didn't have the idea of r plus l equals j already in their head um thinking about that and if you were a book reader of course you knew but if you were not no no i mean a couple episodes ago was pretty overt about the fact that Rhaegar Targaryen might not have been the bad guy 
that everybody made him out to be in the first season. But did that specifically point to John being the kid? I guess if you couple it with Melisandre's King's Blood thing, the whole idea of creating shadows with John. But anyway, uh, ponder that for a moment. If you were a non-book reader, when you heard Aemon say a Targaryen alone in the world is a terrible thing, and then John showed up, did you say, oh, that line was about John? It just seems silly to make a big thing about Jorah's grayscale now. You know, at the time, whoa, Jorah's got grayscale. Whoa, there's no cure to that. But, whoa, in season seven, Sam finds a cure once Jorah gets there. At the time, like I said, it seemed like a very big deal, the end reveal of this. Now it just seems kind of like, Oh, yeah, Sam's going to pick a few scabs, and there you go, you're cured. Which I don't get, I don't understand, I don't understand how the cure works. Um, I would have much rather seen that cure used on Shireen, and for Celise to love Shireen um, for her life, instead of just in the last 30 seconds of her burning life. Um... Stephanie had a similar tidbit as well. Maester Eamon says he's Danny's only remaining relative, and then John enters. Ta-da. Um, she also had Fat Walda is pregnant, and we know how this story ends. Yes. Oh, that was horrible. That was just so awful, what Ramsay did. Stephanie also had a thing about Jorah getting grayscale. I did really enjoy the sequence of the doom and the fight with the stone men, except that I knew it was going to lead to the fake death. I didn't think that they were going to do it quite that extensively. Um, but yeah, that was exciting. Nonetheless, here's something interesting that Stephanie points out. And that's that we found out how Ramsey was conceived. Yes. How Ramsay came to be a bastard of the Boltons and then finally to be instilled as a regular Bolton. It seems that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree after all. Because Roos is not a good guy. At all. She also has this point, which is good. Stannis asks Sam about Dragonglass. Yes. Yes, that's important. Sam uh, keeps Dragonglass in his mind all the time. Um, and it's the whole idea of Dragonglass, there being a ton of it at Dragonstone, that will end up sending John to Daenerys. And uh, will ultimately lead to the really weird situation that they are now in <laughs> as lovers. Bubba did not put in any tidbits. I think that he mentioned some in the conversation. I cannot recall them. I apologize, Bubba, um, that your points didn't stick with me all that well. Um, this is nearly a month later after we had recorded. I wish that I had uh, checked this recording out sooner so that I could have got you guys back. But since it's Christmas week, there's not much chance of that. So, folks, you're stuck with me. Once again, we're going to go to three words next. 
three words. Describing the episode in three words. Three little words. Oh, what I'd give for that wonderful phrase. To hear those three little words. Three words. Trying to describe the episode in three words. It's not always an easy thing to do. I do have Bubba and Stephanie's sets of three words as well. But if you want to submit three words for this particular episode, feel free to do so. If you do so by January 19th of 2019, you will be included in the next feedback podcast, which will happen between seasons five and six. And you do so by sending an email to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com or tweeting mattsgotblog on Twitter. Also, stop right now. Pause the podcast. Take a look at the show notes and look at who's creating the music that's underneath here if you're listening on a podcast app. If you're listening on YouTube, you don't get music here. The rules are different. I've explained that many times before. I'm not going to explain it again. However, I am going to tell you that we do now have two different podcast themes going. We have a different one for Mondays, a different one for Thursdays. I got the chance to collaborate on one of the themes with a very old and dear friend, Don Weber, and her partner in crime, as far as music goes, uh, Christian Oniken. And they are fabulous. They make up the, uh, the band Electric Funk Assembly. I was on one of their records. It was a lot of fun. But uh, they lent me a track that they had made that I could put Game of Thrones stuff on the top of. There's another one where I worked with three different Looperman users. And they created different little loops that I could use to build another Game of Thrones theme on top of. But you need to know who they are. So just look at the show notes and you will find out who they are. And I even have like little websites for them as well. You don't have to click on that. You don't. I'm not here to sell you anything. All I'm here to tell you is just know those people. Know who they are. Because that's the only way we musicians stay immortal. And with that, let's get on to the immortal words of Bubba for this episode. Uh, I, I love these. This is hilarious. Candle Watch 2015. Yes, Brienne's epic Candle Watch, which she failed at that one too. She is definitely Don Quixote, always chasing windmills. That is for certain. How about Stephanie's three words? I love this one too. Long, sullen silences uh, and an occasional punch in the face. The Mormont way. <laughs> the long, sullen silences is the three words, but she went ahead and finishes Tyrion's line, and that was a very funny moment. Um I love Tyrion and Jorah together. You heard Kelly Ray, Ranton and Raven about Tyrion and Jorah together as well. Um, but yeah, I I love uh, I love that line. That's fantastic. You know, Stephanie did a good job there. Mine, kind of in an allusion to one of Bubba's first on the surface points uh, that there was no Cersei. Well, actually, there was no King's Landing. That's my three words. Or I also kind of went along the Candle Watch 2015. I came up with another set of my own. Brienne's Message Received. 
the message that she was trying to get through the innkeeper to Sansa was received. Uh, and of course, we know that it's for naught. Not only will Brienne leave the very moment before Sansa lights the candle, we also understand that, uh, you know, it doesn't, it just doesn't work. Sansa has to rely on Theon to get away, of all things. The person who wouldn't light the candle in the highest window that we'll find out in, uh, what is that, episode 7. So those are the three words for this episode from us. Send me yours. Be part of the Feedback Podcast. Again, your deadline is January 19th, 2019. blog at gmail.com or Matt's blog on Twitter. Brothelmates, that's the best coupling. That's next. So clearly three little words, eight little letters, simply mean I love you. Brothelmates, the best coupling of the episode. L is for the way you look at me O is for the only one I see V is very, very extraordinary E is even more than anyone that you adore can love Brothelmates, the best coupling of the episode does not necessarily have to be two people. It can be a person and a concept, a person and an emotion. And we have pretty much couplings of people this time around, at least between me and Stephanie. I went with something, of course, that Stephanie hated at the time and probably still hates now, but I did go with Missande and Grey Worm. I mean, give them a hand for finally kissing at least. I love this sense of almost normalcy in this crazy, crazy world. I love Missandei and Grey Worm being together. Stephanie would not like that. Stephanie's brothel mates this time around was Tyrion and Jorah traveling through the doom. They did. They recited poetry to each other. It was really cool. Uh, yeah. I dig that. They saw a romantic dragon flying overhead. And then they faced the stone men together. Well, Jorah faced the stone men. Tyrion pretty much just sank to the bottom of a body of water, right? And then we have Bubba's, and I have no idea what to make of this. I know he did this big spiel, and it was wonderful, because Bubba is the king of the brothel mates. He's always come up with good ones. But the only thing that he has in here is Axe Body Spray. I don't know if that's in reference to Grey Worm or Jorah or something else. Bubba, send me an email. Tell me what the joke was about the Axe body spray because I'm at a loss and I don't remember. I apologize. Anyway, if you have brothel mates, get them into me by January 19th, 2019 to be included in the next feedback podcast. Matt's audio blog at gmail.com, two T's. Matt's G-O-T blog on Twitter, two T's. You can find all those links also at mattsaudioblog.com. Uh, guess what? Two T's.
We're going to close things up this time around with the musical analysis. And I just love the Lord of Light theme as Stannis leaves. And I really like the Stoneman music too. That's next. With love can make it. Take my heart and please don't break it. Love was made for me and you. For me and you. The music on Game of Thrones. Have a safe journey, Your Grace. And thank you. As if the disaster of my recording fiasco wasn't enough, there's really not that much in the way of interesting music to talk about in this episode either. That clip that you just heard is kind of an exception to that. We've all heard the Lord of Light theme before, naturally. This one just did a really good job of adding that real cinematic effect as Stannis was leaving for Winterfell. And... Ramin, earlier in the season, actually in the first episode, did a a brilliant version of this theme as Mance was burning. And that, that one's pretty hard to top. But he uses here some of the same development that he did with Mance, making the theme seem bigger because he tries different notes. Same rhythm, just different notes that imply the same harmony for the most part. But when he does actually play the melody that you recognize, sometimes he throws in little reharmonization tricks. Like very near the beginning, of course, you have the Stannis version of the Lord of Light theme. That da 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 and it's answered by the Game of Thrones lick. Dun dun da da dun dun. And that's all really cool. Uh, That tells you that now the Lord of Light is going back to battle for the Game of Thrones, so to speak. Uh, Love that part. But the first time you hear the actual phrasing of the actual Lord of Light theme, it's reharmonized like this. (laughs) 
which was a very interesting reharmonization because the bass notes don't go where you expect them to. And that last one leaves everything in kind of a suspended five chord, which you don't need to know that term, but it kind of just, it adds extra tension because we don't know what's going to happen with Stannis as he goes to battle at Winterfell. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, Stannis, as we know now, turned out to not be a very good guy. But at this moment, you still feel peril for Stannis. You're still rooting for Stannis, especially in regards to the Boltons. You want the Boltons defeated. You want Sansa to be saved. Right? So, in that way, you're still feeling tension for Stannis. Will they succeed? What will happen to his wife and his child? Why is he insisting on taking them with him? And all of that creates extra tension. Tension that we now know was well-deserved in terms of poor Shireen's life and and the way that it ultimately destroyed this whole family. But uh, we didn't know that at the time when we were first hearing this. So uh, Ramin did a very good job of setting up the peril that was ahead for Stannis. Really love that. The other piece of music that I'm going to talk about, there's no need to break it down. It's really actually just more of a percussion thing and a whole bunch of cloudy kind of chord hits but it does really represent the stone men very well that percussive element that you'll hear does kind of remind you of rocks moving in a way um so i really like the way that that's done and then of course we had the fake out death with Tyrion, which was god awful but um there's a big weird chord very dissonant chord that Ramin plays as Tyrion's getting pulled under, and then it just ends that way, uh, which is uh, great for adding extra tension to us because we don't know what's happened to Tyrion. But there's not really any reason to break it down because, I mean, I can call it the Stone Man theme, I guess, but it's not like we've ever heard it other than this one time. So I typically classify that stuff as kind of incidental music. But this was specific to the stone men attacking Jorah and Tyrion. So if you want to call it a stone man theme, I'm not going to shun you for that. And that's really all I have to talk about for this particular episode um, in terms of the music. So uh, kind of a failure of an episode for this podcast all the way around, I suppose. But I'll leave you with the stone man music and we'll be back with closing thoughts in just a second. What was that? Stone men! Don't let them touch you!
hope you enjoyed the podcast. Again, I apologize for not having the promised Bubba and Stephanie this time around. You don't get anybody in the next episode either. It is unbowed, unbent, unbroken. Um, And I could not remain unbowed, unbent, or unbroken after I watched this episode the first time when it first aired in season five. I quit the show. Not really because of the plot of the show. More about how things were handled afterwards. I talked about that briefly today. I'll be talking a lot more about it next time. Also, it's the 50th episode of this podcast. I can't believe I've already reached 50 episodes, and I can't believe that on my 50th episode, which should be a celebration, I'm having to review the episode that is going to defeat me. Well, that defeated me. This time around, I will win. I will continue watching. Um, But I'm going to have a lot to say. So, Dave and Dan, close your ears if you're listening. See you next time. audio blog. Find all contact information, back episodes, and podcast app links at mattsaudioblog.com.